Good morning. Good morning. You think about the phrase, God is good. We may think, well, yeah, God is good. If you think about that idea, you think about the people you interact with on a daily basis, or maybe those on a daily basis, think about just the world in general. Can we say that mankind is good? No. Not universally, right? Can we say that everyone in the country of the United States is good? Can we say that everyone in the state of Oklahoma is good? No. Can we say that everyone in the county, you know, Rogers County, is good? No. And so you see, we think about that, we could go on and on. God, unlike mankind, is good. God has been good, as we're going to talk about throughout this lesson, from the beginning of time. We know it. We can think about it. We only know We think about the beginning of time. The only way we can, reason we can say that is because God is the reason we know when time began, right? In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the following tells us about the creation of the world. And it's from that time in which we say that's when time began. What's interesting is that's not when God began. But in order to be God, you can have no beginning. You can have no end. Therefore, God has always been good since before time ever began as we know it. If you want to follow along with me, we're going to focus primarily this morning from the 146th Psalm, which will be the bulk of our material this morning. Today we will be reminded about this simple but very encouraging fact that God is good. We live in a world around us which is increasingly evil. I think, it, I think if we are awake, we recognize that. If we watch the news for any period of time, we recognize the world has a lot of problems. But what's interesting and what we should remember is that if we want to find solutions to any problems we face, no matter how large we may think it is, or how small or unimportant we think it may be, God and His Word continues to provide the answer for all of mankind's problems. There's a song we sing sometimes entitled, God is so good. You hear that phrase, you probably those words begin to play in your mind, right? God is so good. And what's interesting is we kind of reserve that like a children's song sometimes, right? We'll sing it during vacation Bible school or when we have... You know, maybe a, a little event for, for kids, whatever it may be. And we kind of reserve it for that. But isn't that a song for all ages? God is so good. And think about some of the words of that song. He has done so much for me. God answers prayers and how that course changes you, as you go through that song. But the main theme is that God is so good. Think about the things which he has done for you. That song addresses that as well, right? He has done so much for me. Those words again from that same song. We want to begin by looking at this, our first point together this morning. Praise God and put your trust in Him. Praise God and put your trust in Him. We go to Psalm 146. We're going to notice here verses 1 and 2. As you look at this idea of how I will always praise God. 
Always, which means there's always something which we can be thankful for, right? As you've heard me point out many times before, we all woke up this morning. That's one thing we should be grateful for. We all woke up in a home. We all woke up without being bombarded by the wind that has all around us. We woke up able to have a meal before we began our, as we began our day. We had clothes in our, in our closets. We all used a vehicle to get here this morning. And we think, well, those are things everybody has. Well, not reality, it's not, is it? Not everybody has those things. There are those today who, even in our own state, didn't wake up in a home. They woke up on the street somewhere. They woke up in the same clothes they had on yesterday. And they woke up looking for where they're going to find food today. We are those who are very fortunate, and no doubt we, and those who find themselves in those situations, no doubt can find help from God in those same situations as well. So that's not a continual thing for the rest of their lives. But we are a very blessed people as a nation, but more importantly, as followers of God. You notice there in Psalm 146, verses 1 and 2, he says, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul, while I live, I will praise the Lord. It's very clear he's talking about he's going to praise God, but he says there, while I live, I will praise the Lord. Meaning so long as he has breath in his lungs, and his heart is beating, he's going to praise God. He says there in verse 2, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. While I am alive, I'm going to do this. You think about today, all the things that God has done for you. Just think about your own personal lives. Do you have a reason today in the roughly 11, you know, not 11 hours, but the five hours it's been that you've been awake, have you had reasons to praise God? Have you had reasons to be thankful for what God has done for you? You know, we think about the psalmist, and it's interesting as you go through the psalms, you find a lot of psalms, uh, psalms of praise and songs of praise, and you also find a lot of psalms about them crying out to God, right? Sometimes it's David who's crying out to God for various, for various reasons. But it's interesting that whether you're talking about them pray, that person praising God or crying out to God, their address is always to God. He doesn't talk about crying out to man to help him because he knows, man, he knows mankind can do very little. He doesn't praise man because man doesn't deserve to be praised because we know much about man. Man can turn on you in just about any second, right? And so he says here in verse, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says that he will praise the Lord. He says, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. You know, praising God and worshiping Him doesn't have a retirement point in that. I mean, so long as we can do so with our, with our health and with our physical being, that we are going to give God praise, we're going to serve Him continually. You know, the writer makes, it, makes it his purpose very well known here that he's going to praise God. Praise will be given to God and, and God alone. And it's going to be going, he's going to do so for all of his life. Notice the next verses 3 and 4. He says here that he's going to put his trust in God and not in man. Should we do the same thing? And we recognize we go to mechanics for a reason. But do we trust them with everything in our life? 
We may call the plumber for certain things or electrician for certain things, but if we trust them with the most important things in our life, things of eternal consequence, the answer is no. Why would you? We look at verses 3 and 4. He says, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. It's interesting here that he doesn't just he doesn't say put your trust, don't put your trust in a plumber or someone of, you might say, of a lower self-esteem, lower esteem, whatever they are. But he uses the higher point here, doesn't he? When he says, do not put your trust in princes. Today we might say, don't put your trust in governors or in politicians. He says, don't put your, he says, nor in a son of man, right? He says, in whom, now notice, in whom there is no help. And notice why he says this. His spirit departs, he dies, right? He returns to, 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 he returns to his earth, his body decays, and that very day his plans perish. He offers no more help. You know those things do not apply to God? When we say that he is good, one of those reasons he is good is because he is a constant in our lives. He doesn't come to an end ever. Mankind, he points out here in verses three and four. He says, "He says first, there is no, there is no hell. His spirit departs, returns to his earth, and that very day his plans perish. Everything's going to come to an end, and no matter what that person may have tried to teach you, they can't help you any longer, right? Which tells us our hope should rely in God, because His plan never comes to an end. If you want to use that idea, His the trust we can place in Him." will never be misplaced trust. Has mankind ever steered you wrong? We're going to do this thing back the last couple of years, and well, we can come up with a whole list of things, can't we? You know God has never steered man wrong? Man sometimes doesn't listen, does he? We don't listen to what God says. We don't listen to what he tries to help us to do. Try to give us peace and comfort, and those types of things. You think about Israel, the Old Testament, and how the Lord, the promise was that He was going to lead them to the promised land flowing milk and honey. It was a good land, right? Would they be safe from all their enemies? And what they do? Did they jump on board and say, "Just tell us what to do, Lord, we'll do it"? Well, sure, they said about every day because every day they rebelled against God, practically, didn't they? They whined, they complained, they argued, they gave were given food from, from heaven. Remember the manna from heaven from, from God? And what they do, Leviticus tells us there, they complained and wanted meat. He gave them meat. What they do, they still complain. They didn't bother giving him thanks. And the list goes on and on and on. See, the problem we have to remember is, we think about our lives, the problem is not with God, the problem is with us. God has a solution to everything we come in contact with. The problem is we don't always pay attention. We find there in verse 4, he says, His spirit departs, talking about the man who's trying to help you. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. God is a constant in our lives. He can be. We allow him to be that constant, right? To be the one who we go to in prayer, who we give praise to when things are going well and who we will look up to and honor even when things are not going well. Is it easier to sing praises to God in the rain or in the sunshine? In the sunshine, right? Maybe when things are good, right? Everybody will sing praises to God then. When things are going bad, sometimes we won't. 
When the clouds get up, we get scared, and we say, well, I'm going to try to handle this all by myself. And well, that doesn't work out very well, does it? We put our trust in God and not in man. God is always present, always existing, and always available. Mankind, the same cannot be said of him. Joy from the God of Jacob and his actions. That's what we want to focus next. That's where this, this psalm leads us to. It refers to the God of Jacob many times. Let's look first how the Lord is the one who does these wonderful things. Jacob's God is, is uh, spoken of here. Looking at verse 5, notice this. In verses 5 through, through part of verse 7 anyway. Happy is he who has a God of Jacob for his help. Some translations say blessed is he. Blessed literally means happy. Whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Who keeps truth forever. Who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry. Now who is the God of Jacob? We'll find there in verse 5. Who is it? Well, it's the creator, right? The one who was, who made see and all that is in them. When we look at the world around us, we find no doubt very much design in the world around us. Just, I think it was yesterday, I shared a little clip of, of a bean that was planted to the ground and they had it kind of set up where you could see it growing. And children putting this bean in the ground, watering it, and day by day you started seeing changes. First, you know, the roots came out and it started sprouting up. And by day 12, it was actually a pretty tall little the plant. Why does that work that way? Because its design causes it to what? Respond to water and to life. Well, who is its designer? Well, look at verse, verses 5 through 7. Who made heaven and earth that encompasses everything in the earth, doesn't it? I mean, he's paraphrasing. He doesn't go back and just quote Genesis 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 1 and following. He just sums it up by saying, He made everything. Everything is in the heavens, we do not say the sky and the atmosphere as well. The earth, everything therein, right? The plants, the animals, all those things. He includes there the sea and all that is in them. How many things are in the sea? You know, they're still sending down a lot of different little machinery into the depths of the oceans to, to find creatures that they've never seen before. Things that they don't know what they are. Animals that will light up as you approach them. I've never seen that before. We think about the depths of the sea. And what's interesting, we think about the depths of the earth in so many ways. That we keep finding more and more design in the nature around us. That points not to a slow change over time. Which, that's not a wrong idea to say things change over time. That's what basic evolution is, that things change over time. What we find, though, is a design that requires a designer. And we find here in verses 5 through 7, he's talking about God, isn't he? You made, the, you made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Now notice this. Who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Now, you think about this for a second. Who keeps truth forever, which means he is always proclaimed and upheld truth for all time, forever. Think about this for a moment. Do men today, do they change? 
Do their ideas about what is good and what is right, does it change? Well, yes. If you go back and watch a video of any politician from 20 years ago, if you watch one of them today, you'll notice they change a lot over time. But you know, they're not the only ones. But God does not change. Thus, he says here, who keeps truth, that which is right, that which is good, he says, forever. Who executes justice for the oppressed, because who is it harder to get justice for? Those who are oppressed. I mean, those who, who are oppressed and are struggling in life, if something happens to them, they may what? They may end up going to jail for something they've never done. But those who are wealthy in the ways of the world sometimes, they, those who are well enough known, even by their wicked deeds, well, they may go home and nothing ever happened to them, right? The oppressed, though, what do they do? They need justice. And it's hard to find, even in our world today. But God, he says, here executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry, because those are the ones who need it, right? Yeah, I think there is bigger thing than just giving food to the hungry, that is he helps those in need, doesn't he? We see that throughout the Bible. We think about the Israelites traveling to the promised land. Hello, food from heaven. We want meat, food, there you go. They always return and act towards God as they should, but God still provided for them. The New Testament, Christ fed the 4,000, we fed the 5,000. And those are the things which we know about. John tells us that everything is recorded to which Christ did. There's we have books in the world that contain everything that he did. Which means we get a glimmer of all the things that Christ did on the earth. And one of those things he did was provide for those in need. We know this next, if we continue on, that Jacob's God is identified as if he's not already. But if you look at verses, the latter part of verse 7 going through. Uh, verse 9 here. He says, He executes justice to the oppressed and gives food to the, hung to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Now, when I read that section there about the Lord giving freedom to the prisoners and opening the eyes of the blind, that could be literal. I think in all reality it's more figurative, isn't it? In a spiritual sense, who are those who are prisoners? Who are those? When we talk about those who are lost in sin, the New Testament specifically calls them what of sin? Slaves of sin, doesn't it? Well, he talks about here the Lord gives freedom to prisoners, or freedom, we might say also that could apply to slaves as well. But how does he do that? How do we get freedom from being a prisoner and having our eyes open? How do we have that take place? By hearing God's word and obeying it, don't we? He opens our eyes. He sets us free by our obedience to the gospel to be set free from the bondage of sin. Romans tells us a lot about that there in Romans chapter 6. The Lord gives freedom to, to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He did that literally in the New Testament. Christ did that, didn't he? He did it more than, more than just in a literal sense. He did it in the spiritual sense as well. By preaching the gospel and those who heard it, their eyes were open, wasn't it? The Lord, he says here, raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. You think about those who are bowed down. You could be talking about those who are of older age. You could be talking about those who are just beaten down by the trials and the hardships of this life. But what does he do? He raises them up. He gives them hope. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. 
He relieves the fatherless and the widow. You notice he's talking about those who are in positions of oppression, isn't he? Those who need help, the strangers, the fatherless, the widow. Now, those strangers can't be a reference to those who are outside, uh, those who are not there just wicked. It could include those who haven't yet obeyed the gospel. But the idea that we find that he is looking out for these individuals, isn't he? The strangers, the, the fatherless, the widow. But notice what he does here, how it changes when he deals with those who are against him. But the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. Isn't it interesting we can talk about how God is good and still talk about how he turns the ways of the wicked upside down? Because aren't the ways of the wicked dangerous to others? You know, a false idea that spreads is very dangerous, isn't it? The idea that we can be okay no matter what state that we're in, well, that's, that's a dangerous idea, isn't it? Those who are going against God and doing all types of wickedness, rebelling, would fall in this category as well. So the way of the wicked, some, some commentators say this, they use the idea that he takes their, not just their way, but he takes their world and just turns it upside down upon them. Why would you do that? Because when everything drastically changes, generally speaking, mankind starts to look up, don't we? You remember 9-11? I know many of you do. You remember what you saw on television during 9-11? You saw prayer hotlines during that. Do you remember that? They had certain events where people come on and sing and do different things, and they would have, you know, lines open for people not calling in and asking for prayers. See, when things really, many times, we might say get serious or get real, many will start looking up. And so we take the ways of the wicked, you turn the world upside down, what are you going to do? Many, not all, because mankind is stubborn, but many will start looking up on them. And who are they going to be looking up to? To God. So things for us to think about today. Why is the God of Jacob, we can identify him as the God of the Bible, why is he worthy to be served? Well, let's go back and look at verses 5 through 9. We already talked about that, didn't we? Because he is the one who makes man happy. He says there in verse 1, uh, happy, excuse me, verse 5, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help. And he goes on and talks about all those things which are characteristics and traits and qualities of God. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help. Now, we've done this many times before. Would it be accurate to say that if we put this around and said the person who does not have a God of Jacob for their help, they cannot be happy, they cannot be blessed. That's what the word means. Well, yes. You cannot be blessed if you don't have the God of the Bible, the God of Jacob, as the one who is Lord over your life, can you? Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, there Ephesians 1 verse 1 to following, that all spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus, right? Therefore there are no spiritual blessings outside of Christ Jesus. Therefore, only we can have hope and have truly be blessed and be happy is if we have the God of Jacob as our help, the one who is what? Who we submit to holy. That's when we can find those blessings. For that reason, we can be the one who is wise enough to serve God. He practices good, you might say there in verse, verses 5 through 9. In the latter part of verse 9, we find he also tolerates no evil, right? But also notice this in verse 10. 
verse 10. Psalm 146, verse 10 says, The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, through all generations. Praise the Lord. The Lord shall reign forever. Does anyone on the earth reign forever in any position whatsoever? No. We think it's strange when we hear someone being in a position, of, well, most of the time talking about a politician, whether here or somewhere else. We hear them talk about how they've been reigning in that position for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. You say, that's a long time to hold that office. What about for all eternity? Look again at Psalm 146 and verse 10. I know it's on the screen here, but notice what it says. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, in reference to the God of Jacob, the God of the Bible, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. He will reign forever. He does reign forever. What the faithful follower does as a result of these things. Think about that. What does a faithful follower do as a result of of these things. Well, let's go back and look at Psalm 146, looking at verses 1 and 2. What's the first few words? We praise the Lord, don't we? We praise the Lord for what He has done for us and what He continues to do for us. And for how long? Did we find there in verses 1 and 2? While I have my being, as long as we are able. Because of what He, has, what he does for man, God is worthy to be praised. He is worthy of us being dedicated to him, being dedicated to him. Think about this for a moment. Are there some things in this life that people are dedicated to that we just don't quite understand why they're so dedicated to it? <clears throat> you think about anything, you think about me, someone is a dedicated, hardcore fan of a certain television show from the 80s or whatever it may be. Maybe they're a real fan of a certain, you know, athlete. They have all their memorabilia, all that solid collector stuff, right? But who, who is it? Who would benefit more? The person who's dedicated to those types of things, or the person who's dedicated to God? Because you know we forget that when we leave this earth, we leave everything else behind. Materially speaking, we leave everything else behind, right? I've mentioned this many times before. We think about those in Egypt. How we open up their tombs, they have all those things there, right? You know why those things were in there? They believe they've taken with them. But how do we know they were wrong? Because they're still there. And many of us today, we may not say it, but sometimes our actions show that we are trying to take gather things up as if we're going to take them with us. Life is bigger than that, isn't it? Christ tells us that man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses, which means a man with most toys does not win. A man who has God is the one who wins. God's goodness is a, is a reminder of the amazing God that we serve. His goodness should motivate us to serve Him faithfully. Finally, going back to verse 2 again, I, while I live, I will praise the Lord. Think about this for a moment as we close this morning. Do you have that mentality? As long as you live, you're going to serve God. Does that mean we're, we're never going to make the mistake? No, that's not what we talking about at all. Part of serving God is we're recognizing when we sin against Him as we transgress His law. But we know that He tells us that He will be there for us when we confess those things, repent of those things, when we go to Him in prayer, right? Thus we continue to serve God. But friends, before we can do any of those things, the Bible tells us we must first obey the gospel. The Bible tells us how we can do that, how we can put on Christ and be one who can enjoy the goodness of God as we read about there in Ephesians chapter 1. All those spiritual blessings are only in Christ. 
We do that first by hearing the word of God, don't we? You cannot obey that which you, that which you have not heard. And so we hear the word of God and we obey it. And based upon what we have heard, we believe then that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, right? Unless we, we, we uh, proclaim Him as the Son of God, we cannot have heaven as our home, right? We confess Him that He is the Son of God. We repent of our sins as we turn from those things. We determine we're not going to live the life which we were currently living prior to hearing the gospel. We're going to change. That's what that means, repentance. We change. And then what do we do? We hear, we believe, we repent, we confess, and then we are baptized. You know, that's what they asked about in Acts chapter 2, didn't they? In Acts 2, you had, you had the first sermon there on the day of Pentecost, or the first, not since the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost, when Peter tells them about all the things they had done and how, how they were guilty of Christ being placed on the cross, and their response in verse 37 was, Men, brethren, what shall we do? Sometimes you hear people say today, What do I need to do to be, to be saved? That's what they were asking, right? What do I need to do about what's everything you just said, Peter? Verse 38, what do you tell them? That everyone of you uh, repent and be baptized, right? For the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of your sins. Galatians 3, verse 26 and 27 tells us, as we were baptized into Christ, verse 27, have put on Christ, which means we don't put on Christ until we are baptized. We know sometimes we stop there. Sometimes we see those plans of salvation as a step and the last one in baptism, but really that's not the last one, is it? You know, none of that matters if we're not faithful to God. Revelation 2, verse 10 tells us, remain faithful to death and I'll give you the crown of life. Remain faithful. You can imagine, and we know this all too well. You come and getting, you know, getting engaged, marrying, marrying the the person you love, husband, wife, it may be, and then running off and being unfaithful to them, fully expecting you've done all the things you had to do. What do we treat our beings to God the same way some people treat the marriage bond? You know, they. They profess their love to that person. They get engaged. They get married. And then on day of three, they abandon them and say, Well, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I've married you. I can go off and do whatever I want to now. But yet we have some of the same mentality towards God. They say, I've heard. I believe. I've repented. I've confessed. I was baptized. Now I'm going to go on my merry way. That's not what it's talking about. You know, in John chapter 14 and verse 15, the Bible tells us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the words of Christ himself. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us we're going to be perfect. In fact, it tells us we're going to stumble. But it also tells us there in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 and following, that if we confess those things to God, He is faithful and just, forgive us for our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, God was always there for us. The problem is we don't always want to meet those conditions which He places on, on salvation, and on forgiveness of our sins. This morning, if you're willing to do that, if you're ready to obey, we're glad to assist you. That's going to be 